on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome aboard another episode of The Big Fish. And this episode, we take you to a place that not many recreational fishers go, the deep, dark depths of the ocean. On the giant cliffs and canyons, 30 k's offshore on the edge of the continental shelf, with a real fishing character from Port Macquarie, Ian Macca McCrimmon. Stinkers had a wild ride offshore, and Peter Morse at Weeper, catching up with Alan Fish, Phyllis Kirk, and Dean Butler, and Bargy, and talking about triple tails on the fly, an amazing tropical species that not many have had the chance to tangle with, very nice on the tooth as well, and the mental aspect of fly fishing. It's all coming up on this episode of The Big Fish. I was up at the hospital the other day visiting uh, a relative who's uh, in the um, neurological ward and having a chat with him and we're talking about fishing and the bloke in the next bed said, gee, I like fishing, but I do a sort of fishing you may not have seen. And I said, well, give us a look. And for the next half hour, we had the best conversation about deep, deep, deep sea fishing off the mid-north coast. His name's Ian Macca McCrimmon and he joins us on the line. Good morning, Macca. Good morning, Scotty. How are you? Thanks for cheering up my dear old dad there in the hospital too. He loved your photos and stories of, of adventures on the high seas. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure. Hopefully dad's coming along. Yeah, he's, he's going all right. I'd like to get him back out fishing as soon as I can. But um, your style of fishing is really fascinating to me. When did you first find out that you could catch these monsters from the deep out off the Hastings, out of Port Macquarie? Well, it's a funny story, mate. Me and a mate had been out chasing flathead and snapper in 50 metres and come back to the boat ramp and a bloke approached me that I didn't know and said, how'd you go? And his name was Matty Paulson, a resident from Port Macquarie, Warhope area. And um, and he said, oh, do you want to catch some bigger fish? And I was like, oh, yeah, how do you do that? And he showed me how to make a rig and... Said he go head out here about thirty kilometres offshore and start here and drift along there and since then we've been catching um, blue-eyed trevella and the odd bar cod, blue-eyed cod. They're amazing eating fish and they are big, aren't they? Those cod you showed us photos of ones that weren't even the big ones and they stretch from your belly button down to the floor. And they're they're a wonderful fish, aren't they? That there's have you ever eaten a better fish in the sea? Personally, no. Personally, they're my favourite. Uh, I've had Maui and um, the bar cod, but personally, I prefer the, the blue-eyed trevally is, is my eating fish, whereas other people will say, well, they prefer the Maui, the dolphin fish, or the bar cod. Mm, no, I think you're right with the blue-eyed trevally. They they are just a sensation and get the big bucks in the in the restaurants, don't they, for those? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I've, um, I wouldn't go to a restaurant and buy them after catching them. You're, you're having them straight home, straight uh, on the barbecue as they other go. And tell us about the bloke you took out. He was a very keen fisher. He said, I've got all the gear, don't worry. 
But oh, yeah. he was yeah, a bit of a convert great. to your sort of gear, wasn't he? Tell us about your gear and his gear. Yeah, we were fishing, what, 200 metres of water, and I said, well, we'll go out. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll bring me rod and everything. I said, oh, well, you'd be spread off using an electric wheel. No, 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 I've got my good rod, I'll use that. And once he got to the bottom and got stripped and wound back up and... Then 15 minutes winding in by hand and then dropped again and hooked the fish and spent 40 minutes winding on Then he was converted to pushing the button on electric and letting that do the work. It, it knocks you around winding up from the depth. And yep. None well, of us are young men. It was amazing watching a video of the of the electric reel coming up. It's, it's really exciting, isn't it, as it gets closer and closer to the surface? Yeah, everybody says it's a lazy, lazy man's fishing, but, um, you know, oh, maybe I am a lazy man, but it's it's quite a pleasure to watch. You know, the rods are like broomsticks. They're, they're not a light rod, and when you, you see the tip of them go down into the water, you think, that's a big fish or a big couple of fish on the end of that. And when the... Hold them in your hand and uh, hold that rod in your hand and feel the power of them fish coming up from the depth, so, yeah. Yeah, you because know, you, you, you'll often hook up to kingfish as well, and uh, you also get the the green eye shark, which bite all the way to the surface. You've caught some stonking big kingfish out there. They're an amazing fish to be right up in the shallows. You'll catch them up in the rivers and the the harbours and the estuaries, and then in two hundred metres of water and to fight all the way to the surface. They're just incredible, aren't they? Yes, they are. They they are one of the best fighting fishes that I've caught out there. You know, between them, them and the shark, they they both fight just as hard. Uh, maybe the kingfish fights a little bit harder, but um, yeah, they're a truck when you hook onto them. And you've caught some big ones out there, haven't you? Yeah, like the biggest would would go oh, probably almost 1.4 metres. I don't know what they weighed. We don't carry scales as, as such, but, um, yeah, 1.4 metres in length. And what do you do with the green-eyed shark? They just go back? Yeah, they just get released. They're just a gummy shark. And, and they go back down to the bottom. <laughs> yes. It was really interesting seeing some of the footage because I've never been 30 k's offshore, only in a cruise ship, um, and, and you often get real... Calm conditions out there, way off on on the shelf. Yes, yes. Some days it can be flatter than a lake. Um, yeah, we've had some beautiful days out there. As if I've been out there a hundred times, I'd probably say fifty percent of them was as flat as an ocean. Yeah, we we sat on thirty thirty knots or more, travelling out and back. That's how calm it was. It was uh, yeah, very calm. Very calm season. Then other days, you'll it'll just come up. It'll come up to a four metre swell, and it's like hold on and head home. Yeah, and Macca goes without saying, your boat's got to be pretty good, uh, very well kitted out with all of the emergency gear, uh, the EPIRBs and all, all of that stuff. Yes, yeah, so certainly, certainly. Like mine's only small compared to a lot of the others. I'm only in a six and a half metre tinny, but um, yeah, you got your EPIRBs and your radio, so that. And it's good up here with the um, Marine Rescue um, for thirty dollars, I think it is, for a membership. They'll um, they'll call you every couple of hours to make sure you're right. And if anything's to go wrong, they're straight out to get you. And uh, 
you know, you can't fault the service. You've got to give them a big rap. The Marine Rescue, they do a marvellous job and it's all volunteers. Sounds like you always log on and, and log off, Macca. Yeah, oh yeah, mate. You always log on before you cross the bar and if you need it, you know, need to know the conditions and what's coming, they're always ready to tell you what's happening and if you're coming in and you need to know what the bar's doing, I'll tell you what's happening or if there's any any debris, like with the floods, there was a, a lot of debris coming down the coast and coming out of the river, and, and they were aware of 90% of it. And, uh, yeah, they're very handy. And always log on and log off when you go in and out. Well, Macca, you're a smart man, and um, it's another aspect of fishing. We really don't talk about Treno loves it up the Maclay and, and the Hastings and the Camden Haven and fishing for whiting and brim and then fishing for drummer and snapper and mulloway off the rocks. But uh, this is another aspect to, to mid-north coast fishing, isn't it, that you've got these incredible structures out there. What what does the bottom look like? Can you paint a picture of what the bottom looks like in, in 200 metres of water where you're drifting for these giant cod and, and blue-eyed traveller and other deep-sea fish? Mate, I'd say it's black. I've got no idea, really. Um <laughs> It looks like another mountain range. Uh, we're using lights on, on the rigs and uh, luminous glows. So, um, but on your sound, the structure's showing um, a huge drop-off. You know, it's, it's, going, it's coming from 250 metres up to 150 metres and then dropping down to 400 metres. And, uh, and it's like another mountain range like you see along the coast. It's, I'm guessing it's pretty much the same thing. And of course, you've got that incredible Mount Seaview that towers up over the Hastings Valley so close to the shore. I guess it's it's uh, an undersea version of something like that that wild dividing range. Yes, I'm guessing it is. I'm guessing it's just that Port Macquarie sits in the valley between the two ranges, like dropping down yeah. to the, um, the floor of the ocean. What else have you caught out there? There was a beautiful... I forget the name of it now, but you showed me images of a beautiful redfish. Looked a bit like a, a cross uh, between a sweet lip or a snapper. Uh, so uh, a fire tail snapper, a flame tail, flame tail snapper. That normally they catch them in um, in Queensland, in more of the tropical water, and they came down um, in the warm current when it was um, marlin season. So. Yeah, it's just a fluke. We've got them a couple of times at the same time of the year in the, when the marlin comps on in January, February. What were they like to eat? Oh, they're nice eating too, mate, but they're still not as nice as a travella. No, you love those blue-eyed travella. It must be a damn good fish to travel for, for 60 kilometres in the open ocean to uh, to catch it, but uh, it's good fun by the sound of it. You've really worked it out, and that Matty Paulson, he, he must have some stories to tell. He's an uh, incredible fisherman by the sound of it. He is, mate. I think um, you know, he commercially fished for a few years at um, Sydney Market, I believe, with Barcod uh, and Travella. He's a man to get on and talk fishing. He's, uh, he's had some wild days and nights out there in the ocean. For sure, for sure. Well, Macca, hope you're on the mend as well. I know you had a little stint in, in John Hunter there, and, and it sounds like that's all sorted. Um, will you be getting back out to the, the ocean soon? Yeah, mate, another couple of weeks before I get the all clear from the doctors, and hopefully you'll join me and we'll get out there and spend some 
puts some bait around the bottom of the ocean down there, see if we can't get you a travella. I tell you what we will do, we'll tell Treno that he has to bring his uh, spinning reel and crank him up and I'll use the electric. That sounds like a plan, mate. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I loved your, um, if it was running too hard, your homemade weight system, your LEDs. Um, it's, it's got more to do with motor mechanics and fishing. Yeah, yeah, if it's running hard, do you, you need a bit of weight to get to the bottom and a friend uh, grinds crankshafts, so and in the old rejects, we, we grab the crankshafts and cut them in half if need be. A full crankshaft's about four to five kilos, so depending on what the condition is, you can cut them in half and you've got two kilos or use a full one and <laughs> four kilos to get to the bottom. So depending on the current, it, it can be roaring through there sometimes and other days it's like sitting on a lake, there's no current at all. Wow, wow, a different world, a different world, a a real niche of fishing that we haven't explored much here on The Big Fish. Tightlines, Macca, thanks for telling us about it. No worries, Scotty, thanks for the call and all the best to your father. On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish. Goodbye.
plenty of lures and flies with Google eyes on them, whether they attract fish or not. It's another story. So many people are keen to get into saltwater fly fishing and uh, contact the, the big fish at uh, the big fish at your.abc.net.au for advice. They just don't know where to start, and it's uh, a fascinating area of fishing that can really give you hours of fun. And it's so easy to make your own flies, your own lures. It's just a, a very simple thing. Get a vice and uh, you're away. Go to a haberdashery shop, pick up a bit of chenille, and you're in the money. You'll tie a fly that'll catch a fish. Brett Clark is a professional fly tyer from Tugra on the New South Wales Central Coast with a few tips on how to get into it. <laughs> On ABC Radio, it's The Big Fish with Scott Levi. I was talking to one of the fellows in the uh, the Fly Rodders Club and he said, you know, people overcomplicate saltwater fly fishing. You just get a, an olive crazy Charlie and strip it over or just near the weed beds and you'll, you'll catch a brim for sure. Um, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? We go way up into the mountains to chase trout and all the rest of it when there are all these great fly fishing options right at our backyard. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that is fair to say. Like Central Coast particularly has a great diverse range of fly targets. You know, we've got a great you know, saltwater fishery with the lakes and the creeks around here. And then, you know, if you do want to travel into the fresh, then, you know, you've got the bass in the fresh reaches. Or if you want to travel a little bit further, you've got good access to the trout waters as well. So, yeah, yeah it's, and it's quite, a, quite a good area to, to be based in. Going off at the moment too, the freshwater scene is just on fire because of the the fresh water, because of the amount of water. But if you're on an, on an estuary from the Tweed to um, to Bega or to, to Malakuta over the Victorian border, it's all pretty similar, isn't it? You know, chasing brim, chasing whiting, chasing flathead. What are some of the flies and some of the techniques that people can, can use to get into this? So you need a six-way to do you fine, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely a six-way, you know, would be the would be the perfect place to start for the estuary work. And, and particularly for those species that you mentioned, you know, the whiting, uh, the broom and the flathead, they're all very achievable um, targets with a fly rod. A six-weight is perfect uh, for all of those species. And you mentioned one of the common uh, fly patterns before being the Charlie or the Crazy Charlie. Um, you know, that, that's a, a very successful fly, you know, particularly on the brim, some slightly larger ones. Uh, for the flathead, Clouser minnow is perfect fly for the for the flathead as it's usually weighted with um, uh, lead dumbbell eyes and it, it can get to the bottom where those flathead live. And then the whiting, you know, once the once the prawns start running and the estuaries, you know, become you know alive with activity, then you know they're a, they're a, they're a great challenge, you know, on the fly rod. And you can use little crazy charlies again, you know, possibly in sizes. A ten and eight, possibly a six, but then, then you can present uh, some small poppers to them, you know, with a floating line, and they're they're a dynamic fish, you know, when you're fishing them on on top water. So that can be re- that can be a real blast. That's a real natural presentation too. Is a little popping shrimp fly. I know Peter Morse developed a very simple one to tie, and you guys would probably have that one. Uh, and and it's actually mimicking what the prawns do when the whiting try to suck them in and disturb them out of the sand in the bottom of our sandy estuaries. They go straight to the top, don't they, and jump and try to get away. And that's when the whiting chase them. And it's so exciting. It's really I I this is my theory replicating that that natural uh, behaviour of the sh- the shrimp or the prawn. 
Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And that's, it. that's exactly what happens, is that that prawn or that shrimp tries to flee, you know, from being eaten. And it creates a bit of a commotion on the surface. And, you know, and then, um, you know, the fish gets, um, I suppose, agitated or hungrier or, you know, or motivated to, you know, to, to try and chase that down and, and, and eat it, you know. So you really want your fly to represent what's happening, you know, at the time. So... But particularly when those, you know, when those prawn runs are happening and, the, you know, the prawns are you know, exposed towards the surface of the water column, it's a great way to fish if you can fish it, you know, in a top water presentation. There's really nothing better. We're speaking with Brett Clark and along with his partner, Sheree Forbes, they uh, tie saltwater flies. It's quite a niche industry, but they're, they're making a good go of it, all, all Australian manufacturing and uh, it's wonderfully innovative too. I mean, the things you do are just just fantastic. And that whiting fishing is, is really exciting. You can do that out of a kayak. You can do a bit of flyacking, or um, and any of those little lagoons, sandy bottom estuaries up and down the coast. You'd be surprised at how many prawns are living just under the sand there, with their eyes just poking out. Uh, you see it when when they're running, don't you? They come out in droves. Oh, you see, yeah, you certainly do. You know, and then. You know, once that once that bait fish activity or that prawn activity starts, to, you know, starts to happen, you know, more so in the, you know, in the you know in the springs, you know, spring and summer months, I suppose. Um, then yeah, all of those species become more active in the water, and they're you know they're you know they're feeding up, and you know they all become very viable, you know, very viable fly targets, you know, and it's it's it's, it's I, I find fly fishing very. Um, you know, it's, it's got a challenging element to it, but it's also very, very re- rewarding to catch, you know, to catch a fish on fly. You know, you get a real buzz, you know, from customers that have caught their first one in the shop, you know, and then that, that motivates them to just to keep going and, you know, becoming better at it or refining their skills and then, you know, being motivated to, to target new species and open up new challenges to their own angling. So it's, Pretty much anything in the water these days that um, you know that eats, you can you can target it with a fly. There's um, you know there's something out there, or there's a you know there's an outfit out there that would you know would help you achieve you know what your goals are. So it's yeah, quite yeah. good. Lay no mullet on on bread flies. Um, you know, drum, <laughs> yeah. drummer and and uh, luderick on on weed flies and bread flies. I and mean, these are all sorts of fish that people would never think you could target on on the fly rod. And they're really great fish to target. On the fly rod, I think the great thing about what you do too is is you do design beautiful flies and give people a bit of an idea about the proportions and the weight and and all those important things because they've not only got to look good and work well in the water and, and look uh, lifelike and all those soft materials do come to life in the water, but they've also got to yep. be aerodynamic. They've got to be castable. They really won't work. So design is everything, but people can get materials from you as well and, and make their own. It's really a, a great craft as well as a great outdoor sport. Yeah, 100%. The, um, there, there's a gazillion materials available, you know, from, you know, from the natural, from the traditional naturals, you know, the bucktails and the deer hairs and the, and the foxes and, and that kind of thing, squirrel tails and right through to, you know, to man-made, you know, synthetic materials and then to components. You know, which just help. I suppose help you know build a better fly, help people, um, you know, to achieve what they're what they're looking for in terms of their fly tying. So yeah, there certainly is a there's a an enormous range of fly tying equipment. You know, for people to be able to use their imaginations, 
you know, they can stick to the tried and trusted patterns. They might tweak it a little bit, you know, change some colour threads, put some hot spots on it, or they can go, you know, they can get really imaginative and, you know, put propellers on the, you know, on the front of their flies or the back <laughs> of their flies. And, you know, really, it's, it's endless these days. It really is. Yeah, it's great fun and it's a, it's a really great hobby getting into fly tying. And, and now that we're really getting into saltwater fly fishing for our bread and butter species, I think there'd be a lot of people out there that's that's their only vice, perhaps, is <laughs> tying flies. Yeah. And it's a great time in, in, on the cold winter's nights to, to sit by the fire and, and tie a few flies, but it, just not for trout. I think that's uh, really important. There's so much fun to be had in our estuaries. Tight lines and tight loops. Brett Clark, thanks for joining us on The Big Fish. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Here comes Tinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Morning, Stinker. Oh, g'day, Scott. I know you love all the creatures of the sea. Sad news coming in from the New South Wales Central Coast about another leatherback turtle caught in the shark nets. They had 11 of them caught in the nets and, and quite a number of them with net marks washed up dead on, on the beaches. The things are, the adult ones are as big as a, a Volkswagen. They're an incredible creature or close to that uh, size. Well, I have no time at all for uh, drum lines or, or set nets. I think it's politically driven. I think it's uh, not necessary. We haven't in Port Stephens for the last 200 odd years. We've never had a net. We've never had a fatality. Um, It's really, if you're going to, I mean, sharks live in the sea. That's where they live. And if you want to avoid them, stay in in your bathtub or swimming pool (laughs) or something or other. But, I mean, that's a a reality of life. And, And really, I can see absolutely no reason to put uh, nets or drum lines down because it's not going to solve anything. And in fact, it's got a, a downside, turtles and, and your dolphins and whatever else. Yep. I mean, it, it's just simply doesn't make sense to me. Well, the promise is to, to get rid of them, but um, who knows when, when that'll happen. And Stinker, you've had a wild ride this week, I believe. Oh, dear, oh, dear. You know, it's a... It's, a, it's sort of um, realised in our society that the older you get, you become smarter because of your experiences in life. Yeah, well, that's... In my case, it's not working. <laughs> that's usually the rule of thumb, but you, you, you went out when you maybe shouldn't have gone out, or what, what happened? Well, that's the truth of it. <laughs> that's the truth of it. I mean... Experience told me this was Wednesday. It was Wednesday evening around about four o'clock, and there's a southerly wind blowing and a mean sea. Now, a rolling sea with a with a big swell, stink pot doesn't bother about that. I mean, you just roll with the swell and and everything's fine. But if it pops and breaks, and you and there's white caps and it's coming at you from all angles. That's a good sign for you to say, stay home and do something else. But because it had south south in the wind, and I like the south wind, that's where I, if I can sit 
uh, around my hot spot in a south wind, I know in a bit of swell, I know I'm going to catch cracker, cracker snapper. So everything's fine except the sea, which was grumpy. But anyway, so I jumped in my tinny in Fingal Bay and I motor across Fingal Bay. And Fingal Bay never, ever gives you a true... Uh, reading as to what to expect when you get around the corner into the open ocean. So I've gone across Finger Bay with a, you know, I'm sort of all fired up, ready to go, and I get around the corner and I look north to where I'm going. I'm thinking, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Well, this is when, you know, I should have just turned around and come back home. But being me and not being all that clever, I thought, well, no, I think I'll go. So down I go, which is about another kilometre. So I motored down there. I couldn't go very fast because it was just joggly and, oh, really. And I finally got to where I wanted to go. And the waves are coming from all directions. And I finally um, anchored up and then burlied up. And and I'm using uh, yellowtail, frozen cubes of yellowtail for bait. And this sounds quite... For anyone who's a snapper fisherman, they'll think this is crazy. But it it looks crazy, and it is crazy. But by golly, I caught some beautiful fish. Oh, that's that's great, Stinker. And you've adapted. You use different gear now than that the long rods and the side cast reels. You're also using different bait, really. You used to be, be a, a live or, you know, fresh squid or a prawn man, didn't you, for the snapper? Well, big prawns, I went on big prawns for a long time. And, and interestingly enough, I put two rods out and they're both floaters, no no lead, absolutely no lead whatsoever. And I put a king prawn on one and a cube of yellowtail on the other. Well, I ended up with five beautiful snapper up to, up to three and a half kilo and I caught them all on the cube of yellowtail. I didn't catch a fish on the on the prawn, which I always thought was the best bait. So now I've got a freezer full of yellowtail and I take them out with me when I go and thaw them out and then I take the head, I cut the head off, then about another um, chunk or a cube about the same size as the head and then another cube, you get one, two, three cubes before you get to the tail and throw the tail away. Um, and do they? They just, it's the best bait I've ever found. It's quite remarkable because it doesn't even look like a bait. It just dangles off your hook and, it, and <laughs> you just pin it. You pin it through the skin. Did you uh, catch a few yellowtail though? I mean, you've got to get a supply, haven't you? And they, they do swarm around the back of the boat with the sweep and maybe the slimies and other things from time to time. Well, if I didn't have enough problems, I, when I, I burl it up, like I always take four or five loaves of bread and so there's bread going all over the place. <laughs> I end up with bread in my hair and in my, all over the place. Anyway, into my burly trail, come all these kingfish. Well, there were kingies everywhere, which means if there's kingfish in your burly trail and you're trying to catch bait, you can't because as soon as you put a little bit of prawn over the side, well, wallop, <laughs> you, get a, you get a kingfish and they'll come right up beside the boat. You could whack them with an oar if you wanted to, but oh, dear, dear. So I've got all these problems, but it's incredible, Scott, 
how you forget all your problems if you hook a beautiful fish. You only use a, a couple of metres of line. Don't, you don't even use a rod. You just use a piece of fishing line with a little tiny hook to catch those those uh, yakas or yellowtail up in the bread burly, don't you? So yeah. that's going to be a bit finger-burning when a big kingy grabs hold of it. Well, it's all over in a second, really. It just <laughs> a lot. But yeah, I use no look more than two metres of line, no more than two metres on the spool, which I put in my pocket. And then I peel off two metres of line, and then I've got a number four hook. Long shanks are good because you can hold the end of the hook and shake if the um, the yellow tail off. That's why I prefer to use a, a long shank. But don't be um, tricked into thinking if, if you've got six hooks down the line that you're going to get six yellow tail <laughs> because what happens, you end up with the biggest tangle you've ever had. And so I reckon the best way and the quickest way to catch your live bait is with um, one hook. And then you can just flip them over the side of the boat. They're right beside the boat. You can just flip them over and you can get a dozen within no time at all. Um, So better off using one hook than multiple hooks because you get a multiple tangle with a multiple Yeah, hook. yeah. You're talking about those, I think they're called Samaki bait rib, uh, rigs with the little little fly on the end of them. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I remember using one and the, the Silver Trevally moved in and uh, you get four Silver Trevally about 50 centimetres long and all, all going different directions and, and snapping you off and tangling it all to, to pieces. I like your, your method. It's far simpler. Well, like I say, it avoids the tangles. But where I go, and I don't encourage anyone else to go there because it's dodgy. It is. And you need a fair degree of experience to know what to expect. So it's not that I – everyone knows where I go. It's no secret where I go. But I don't encourage anyone else to go there because if if you're not experienced in this particular spot, you can get in all sorts of trouble. Out in front of the lighthouse – in, on Fingal Island, there's three huge rocks and they're side by side and there's a split between them and they're called Tommy Tommy Rock 1, Tommy Rock 2 and remarkably, the other one's called Tommy Rock 3. And, and I sit in a little bombora to the south of Tommy Rock 3 and I fish around that bombing. And there's so many good fish there. Oh, gee. I've caught tailor and salmon and kingfish and mulloway and snapper. Um, If it's really, really calm, it's a red-hot spot if you wanted to catch groper. When there's a bit of wash there, you can catch drummer. And it's all in about the size, an area about as big as a tennis court, I suppose. Oh, gee, there's some fish there. Have you caught Trag there as well? Yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> he was lost, I think. <laughs> but my mate, he goes further south than me, and not far, like about two kilometres further south, and he caught, he and his mate got six crackers. And, and it's something we don't expect to see here at Fingal, a Trag, and they're good ones too. Really mm-hmm. good Trag. The, the odd, you'd get the odd... Thumper brim as well, big enough to take the, the snapper hook, I, I would think. Oh, yeah, you'd get the brim. But I always call them a sort of brumby brim, really, because 
A brim that lives around a surging bombora has to swim like crazy to stay still. So if they're going to do all that much exercise every day, they don't really get a great chance to get fat. And so you get them lean and mean, whereas the ones that cruise along the beach, they're chubby and broad-shouldered and bright-eyed. So the brim you do get, a big brim, but they're lean because they they do too much exercise. Yeah, that's right, in the in the wash and the white water. What about the uh, uh, tailor stinker? You said there was some decent tailor there the last time you went out. They've, they've been a bit rare of late. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I sort of try to avoid the tailor as well because unless you're rigged up with a three-hook rig, they're going to bite you off every time. And they love that cube of yellowtail, by the way. If you if you throw that out and there's a school of tailor, well, whishka, it's gone. And then you'll have him for a little while. And unless you lift it, unless you lift the tailor, you're going to lose him because they simply, they've got razor-sharp teeth and they'll bite straight through your line and all you get back is nothing. <laughs> when when a, a, a big kingy or any, any size kingy, really, they all fight like demons, grabs your snapper rig. How long does it take you to know that uh, you're not onto a snapper? Oh, pretty much immediately, because they stay on the surface. The snapper will go deeper. He'll go deeper. So you might have a, an angle of 45 degrees down into the water, but if a kingy takes it, it's only about 10 degrees uh, from the surface, and he'll stay on the surface and go. And every time you think like you're making a bit of headway, he'll go again. Um, but the ones that are out there now, and oh, there's heaps, uh, And but they're all um, rats, what you call rat kingies. Uh, there's none of them that I saw. Um, I caught a couple and, and let them go. I mean, I don't want them. Um, they're undersized. They're, they're, well, so what's a 70, isn't it? I think six, 65, I think. I could be wrong. 65, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, well, that's how much I know about kingfish. <laughs> you don't I, like them. I avoid them. I avoid them at all costs. But, oh, they're there. And they, like you say, they can go. bit of prawn on your little number four long shank hook, and it's in amongst all the yellowtail, and then whooshka, along comes the kingy and gobbles it down and just keeps going. Well, you t- if your little plastic thing pops out of your pocket and it rolls around the bottom of the boat. Oh, it's bedlam. But, oh, look, it's so much fun, Scott. And to come home and to have these magnificent snapper uh, and then I fillet them and I skin them and I cut all the bones out so there's absolutely no bone in it and then I'll, I'll uh, pat it down and then I put it in the, the vacuum pack, you know, the um, cryvac. I've got one of those cryvac machines. And then I pack it in, in, into meal sizes and then put it in the freezer. Oh, and, and the meals that we've been having, or snapper, oh, sensational. And, and you can either cook them in, in crumbs or you can put them with... Um, Mrs. Max batter, which is El Cheapo batter. It's, <laughs> it's easy. Just add a bit of water and you're in business. Um, or what I've been doing lately is just pattering it with flour and cooking in a real uh, shallow um, peanut oil and, and it nice and hot so it's sort of crunchy on the outside and beautiful and moist on the inside and then put it on a bed of fried rice 
and a few prawns and a bit of plum sauce and off you go. Oh, gee. Stinker, it sounds like absolute heaven, but make sure you come back. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll get smarter one day, but it hasn't happened recently. <laughs> All right, tight lines, buddy. We'll catch you next week. Harry Scott. On ABC Radio, it's The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Did you hear Steve on the program last week, a fellow who had his arm crushed in a terrible industrial accident, thought he'd never fish again, couldn't use a spinning rod or turn the handle, and then he discovered fly fishing and realised that if he strapped the fly rod to his forearm, he could fish. Not only could he fish, he took on the very intimidating uh, style of fishing, rock fishing for pelagic fish in the salt water with a fly rod. It made me think about the therapeutic nature of fly fishing, the vibe, I guess, of fly fishing. Peter Morse has just hit Weeper, where he's going to do a bit of hard saltwater fly fishing. And uh, Peter loves this sort of philosophical stuff. Good morning. How are you, mate? Good to hear from you. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty amazing story. I, I, I'm incredibly impressed uh, by that guy. Yeah. And, and Peter, yeah, we, got you, we got you at the right time because you've just rocked up at Weeper and you'll be on the water for days. So um, I'm glad I got you this morning before you launch. Because a lot of people think fishing is, is very sedentary and there's not much mental work being done. But fly fishing is quite different, isn't it? Well, all fishing should be quite different. But fly fishing requires you to be different. Uh, uh, we're here, up here in Weeper. One of the things we do is walk the beaches. And you walk along a beach and you start to see subtle changes of structure. And if you stand in one spot and just cast and cast and cast, hoping a fish swims by that spot, you're missing other, you know, subtle features in the what we call it, the beachscape, is the word like gutters and rocks, and and there's rocks with weed on it, then there's rocks with oysters. And if you just stand in one, and they produce different results, and if you just stand in one spot, you're missing all of that. I, I agree completely. Movement for me, walking the rivers, walking the lake shores, is what it's all about. Uh, you know, and 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 constantly fishing new water. You know, if you can hit a, I remember last year on the Tongariro, I fished this beautiful run, this big brawling run. It was no good for nymph fishermen because because there was no clear clear holding water. There was no clear structure, but I could see this deeper gutter on the other side of the shallower stuff, and and uh, it took me an hour or so to work out exactly how to fish this bit of water. In the process, I caught fish, but once I'd worked out where the slot was and where the fish were, you know, it was enormously productive. Now, if I'd just done the traditional thing and stood at the head of the pool and thrown nymphs upstream and hoping that they drifted in front of a fish, none of that would have happened. You know, none of that would have happened. That it, it, It's an exploration. Do you think it's also a, a test of imagination? Yes, it is. I, imagination is very important in fly fishing. We're trying to we're trying to imagine what's going on under the water, and we're trying to imagine what our fly is doing within that. Under you know, if we're not fishing dry fly or surface flies, and you know me, I I just lump all fly fishing together. Uh, we've got to and with the with the space stuff, with the swing and the flies through this water that has various depths and various current speeds. I'm constantly trying to imagine 
what that fly is doing. Try to envisage it. How is it presenting to the fish? Is it deep enough? Is it going too? Is it swinging too fast? Can't be too slow. Uh, yeah, and all of that, unless we unless we put on a mask and a wetsuit and get in the water and, and study it, we, all we can do is imagine it. And when when we get a bite, when we do get results, we've got to remember what it was we were doing because we hit some little magic moment there, you know, where our imaginings became turned into a reality mm. in the form of a fish. And, yeah. and combining that, that um, great mental game with a great physical game, because there is a, a physicality to fly fishing, solving a conundrum of getting that fly uh, around that log, under that tree, whatever it may be, or out in the salt, dealing with wind and all those other vectors that, that come into play. Um, that added with that really strong mental side, do you think that's the magic? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know why it's called angling? Because we're dealing with angles. And what you were saying about uh, dealing with wind direction and swing direction and current direction, that's all about working the angles, isn't it? You know, you, you'd agree with that? I think so, yes. So that's, yeah. that's going back to, to Walton's day, isn't it? The, yeah. the, the dangle of the angle. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was called angling, angling for a reason. And fishermen fished with an angle and they sought, they sought out the angles of their presentation. And do you use the, the, the double-handed spay rod for your fly fishing in the saltwater now up, up at Weeper? No. No, no. No, it's all single-handed stuff. Uh, I, I could if, if, um, if I was fishing off the beaches uh, and I bought one with me, I could do it. We've got a horrible monsoonal low-pressure system at the moment with screaming onshore wind, so we, we won't be doing any, um, beach, any fishing off the beaches, I don't think. It'll be from boats... Up in creeks, uh, fishing for barras, barramundi, and maybe we'll get well offshore and look for some blue water. Plenty of uh, flood debris coming down from Indonesia and New Guinea with triple tails and all sorts of things hanging around it. Uh, we're, 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 we're just, it's a it's a wait and see game. Talking to the my old mate, I'm fishing with Mark Barkenquest. He's a guide up here. Uh, he said we'll get out each day, but there are lots of storms and. Uh, and rain fronts coming through, but hey, you know it's thirty. It's thirty-two degrees at the moment. We've got a blue sky and a gentle breeze. When we landed, there was a big squall blowing across. So yeah. who knows? Who knows what each day is going to bring? Tell us about the triple triple tails and um, the fun the fun of that. How how good can that be if if they're about? Oh, one of one of the really enigmatic fish. Love hanging around structure do an extraordinary impersonation of a lump of seaweed. <laughs> They're amazingly camouflage you. Yeah, and they're usually hanging around those flood debris lines, you know. Or they, out, in the, out, in the out in the blue water? Out in the blue water? Out in the blue water and, and in the estuaries, so they'll hang around beacons and pylons and what have you. And there's plenty of them here because it's a, a major, major port. But certainly if we can find debris, uh, big rafts of debris out, you know, like 18, 20 miles out. And uh, there could be all sorts of things around them, trevally, rainbow runners, triple tails, uh, maybe even uh, dolphin fish or mahi-mahi. Who knows? So it's, it's going to be an adventure every day. And, and are they uh, a good fighting fish? I mean, we, where, what's their distribution? Do we get them over this side as well? Uh, on the East Coast, yep. 
they're, so they're a very tropical fish. Um, they, 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 I've caught them in among the mangroves. I've caught them well offshore. Uh, they, they're a fish that you just encounter. When they're around, they're around. Uh, when they're not, they're not. Places with a lot of, like, uh, with a lot of pearl farms, where they have lots and lots of boys with weed and, and stuff growing on them, they'll hang around those. They'll hang around among the weed and stuff and will become reasonably residential. Um, yeah, they're, they're one of those. At this time of the year, there's lots of them around here because there's lots of debris that they come floating in with. Yeah, they, they look pretty strong to me. They look like they can pull a bit. Yeah, they pull a bit. Also, <laughs> just between you and me, they're pretty good on the plate. Tight lines, tight loops. It's great to catch up with you again and get you just before you start to hit the water off Weeper. Sounds very exciting. Hopefully you can get in some big barra. The, the, the rains often bring a few of those down. We're hoping they've had a huge wet up here, couple, two meters of rain. Yeah, I'd... hopefully I'm I'm catching up with um, with uh, Alan Phyllis Kirk and Dean Butler. I don't know if you know that Dean Butler's been uh, installed in the, into the IGFA Hall of Fame. Yeah, one of the most incredible pioneers of all forms of fishing. Absolutely, absolutely, but particular fly fishing for his fly fishing guiding exploits. Absolute legend. So we're we're going to catch up and and uh, have a fish. Look, really looking forward to that. Gee, some, some big names and some very fine fishes there. You're in good company with Bargy and, and Fish and uh, Butler. Yes, pretty 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 good crew. <laughs> we'll have fun. Uh, good on you, mate. I think I caught you at just the right time. You have a great time. And um, how about we catch up when you get back from, from your adventures up there? Sure, no problem, mate. Be more than happy to. Peter Morse on the big fish. He's just lobbed at Weeper. Great to see what he catches. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.